God is good. We're almost awake, and we'll see what happens here the next few moments. If you have that picture of my family one more time, um, I, I love my family very much, and uh, we've been parenting now. This May will be 12 years. Noah will turn 12 years old, and he was our first born, and when you're a parent, you kind of want things to, um, at least me, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a bad parent, I don't know, but a baby doesn't really mean all that much to me, like, it's just kind of like, it's born, they put it in my hands, and I was looking at this, like, purple grapefruit, and, like, the first question I asked was, is he going to stay like this? And they're like, no, I think he'll come out of it. And so I'm like, well, that's good because he looks like an alien. And um, so that, that I'm just callous like that. It's just, I, don't know, I think little babies, and they puke and they poop, and, and it's just not my thing. And so I, I got a little more excited as he got older because, you know, there's some engagement and interaction going on, not just like drool coming out of his mouth. And so I'm like, okay, this is getting a little better. And so, you know, I want to like, you know, run with him and crawl and all that stuff and but I've learned now you know by the, the the second and third kid I stop them from crawling and walking I just kind of knock them over because it's more work when they start crawling and when they start walking like you actually got to like be a parent and so but the first one I didn't know any better so I'm trying to get them to walk on day one and kind of thing and and the reality is it is difficult to 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 teach um, the Brown family, how to walk because, you know, proportionally we're incorrect. We have the head of a beach ball, a cranium with a circumference that is about six foot wide, and then we got a six-inch torso. And so it's a little hard to walk when you're top-heavy. And so, you know, I'm trying to teach my boy to walk, and, you know, he's like, <laughs> big old head. But eventually you learn how to walk, but we still had to be careful. And what we, we lived in that old house, we still live in an old house. But the, the house was um, early 1900s, like 1910, and they had really steep stairs going up. And so we got that, um, whatever contraption, that uh, baby gate. And so I put the baby gate up to keep them from going up the stairs and falling down. And so one day my wife... Uh, thought I was trained enough to watch my son on my own, and she, she went out and did errands or whatever, and I had to run upstairs, and, you know, the dumb baby gate was very, like, it wasn't, we didn't have money where we could have like, these fancy ones where you kind of wave your hand, motion activated, and, and then you just kind of walk, like, this one's like, you got a hand crank, you got a nail each time, it's, it was work, I hated doing it. But you do it for safety. But anyway, so I, 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 I tear down the baby gate, pick up my kid, I walk up the stairs. And I didn't set it back up because it's a lot of work and I was just going to be very quick. So, you know, I, I set him down over here and I, I, I go to take care of what I was going to take care of. And I was just going to be real fast. But all of a sudden I heard thud, 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 thud coincidentally it was about the same amount of thuds as there were steps in the house and then it went silent and then 
I'm, I run downstairs and I, I pick him up and I'm trying to, I'm trying to console him. I'm like, are you okay, my little tax credit? Are you, my, I mean, my, my living child, not. I'm trying to calm the stimulus down. And he finally starts, you know, kind of catching his breath and stops screaming. And the good thing about our genetics, the Brown family, is we have indestructible craniums. <laughs> so he bounces back, but he's, he's got the, you know, the, uh, the, the cry that's like, <sighs> and as I'm calming him down, I'm like, are you okay? And he looks me in the eye and he makes this statement. He says, I don't want to fall again. And when he said that, just something came over me. And I was like, you know, much doesn't change as you get older. None of us want to fall again. No one likes to fall. No one likes to mess up. Nobody likes stumbling. It's embarrassing. It's painful. It's it's a miserable experience, and it can create fear inside one that you'll ever, you know, be able to conquer or overcome the fear of falling. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 10, it says, Brethren, you need to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. God's called a number of people in this room, and there's certain things he's called you to do it. And the Bible says this, if you do these things, someone say these things, you will never fall again. It says there are some things that if you would do them, you would never fall. When you see a verse like that, you should pause for a moment and be like, wow. There's some things that if I would do them, I don't have to fall again. I believe that there is that inner child inside of all of us saying, you know, I don't want to fall again. And the Bible has declared, the Bible has promised that if you do these things, you will not fall. In the event you think I'm cherry picking maybe one verse and isolating it and just saying, you know, that's just one idea, one concept. You're creating a false theology. We can go through an entire lesson today of verses that speak about this concept the Bible says in Jude 1, 24, now unto him who is able, with all of God's power and ability, the Bible says it is possible in the realm of God's power to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence. In fact, the Bible says it's his exceeding joy. God takes joy and helping you to accomplish your goal of not falling. How many would like to not fall again? You don't have to. The Bible says in Psalm 1836 that he can enlarge your steps under you so you do not slip. That'd be nice to increase my foot size. God can do it. But our problem, as it says in Romans 7, 18, you know, there's this battle of two forces inside of us. And, and in us dwells no good thing. But there is a will, there is a desire present inside of me to do what is right. But how to perform it, I struggle finding that. 
How can I accomplish this desire not to fall? And I believe today with the help of the Holy Ghost, this teaching lesson, and if memory serves me correct, some seven, eight years ago when I was at the camp setting, we talked about some of these elements, and I want to talk to this group here today about it because I, as I was praying about this morning in this session, I thought I was going a different direction, but I felt prompted, I felt quickened to go this direction, and I'm just going to obey the Holy Ghost, and I believe God is going to help some people in this room not to fall again. Are you saying that I can live sinless? Well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But how long can you go without sinning? Let me ask this question. How many of you think you can go one year without sinning? How many think you can go half a year without sinning? How many think you can go one month without sinning? How many of you can go one week without sinning? Can anyone go a day without sinning? Can anyone here go an hour not sin? Can anyone here go one minute without sinning? Or is everybody sinning while you're sitting there right now? <laughs> I guess I'm in the right vein here today. If, if you look at the big picture, it may seem overwhelming, but if you break it down and live for God in the moment, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, 17, it says, this I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You would do something for God. You want to accomplish serving the Lord faithfully. But we find ourselves falling. But if we can get into the spirit and learn to walk in the spirit, we do not have to fulfill the desires of our carnal nature. You do not have to fall. Again, when I moved to South Dakota, we get some pretty intense winters just like y'all, and uh, it took my first winter there to realize I don't want to shovel again. <laughs> and I wanted to get one of these fancy machines called a snow blower, snow thrower, I don't know what y'all call them here, but it's just, I, I just, I was like, I, I'm, it's a lot of shoveling. I need to do something differently. And so my wife and I started saving uh, because we were poor, you know, the kind of poor we eat cereal with forks just to save milk kind of poor. And so we, we uh, scraped, saved, we got enough money, and I went to a pawn shop and I bought a used snowblower. You all know what a snowblower is, right, when I'm saying that? Okay. All right. And so I got it and look in the forecast, weather and all that stuff, and I, I want to make sure we're ready to go. And so I put the oil in it and I put the, the gasoline in it and I go to fire that thing up. I pull on it and nothing happened. That's not uncommon where a lawnmower or snowblower doesn't start on the first pull. So I pull it again, nothing. And I pull it again, nothing. And nothing. And nothing. But I feel a rhythm going on. And so, like, I'm just, I, I'm just going at it. I'm pulling. For, I don't know how long I was doing, but I started getting 
aggravated because the thing would not start. I got, I, my, my temperature started rising. I started getting frustrated and, and my arm was like basically out of socket. And so I'm like, oh, dumb, stupid, dumb. So I use my left arm and I start pulling on the thing. And I'm pulling on it to get that thing started. Still nothing would happen. And I am so aggravated. I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired. And, and I, I, I kneel down and I'm just like, God, this is so stupid. I, I, I need this thing to start. There's, I, I don't have money to waste where we barely have enough to eat. I don't know if I, 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 what to do here. And there's just no way that people from a pawn shop would be dishonest and sell me something <laughs> that doesn't work. These God-fearing, holiness-believing, pure, non-greedy people. And as I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm just thinking and venting, I look up, and I see this little tube from the, underneath the gas tank that goes down, and there's a red notch with a picture of gasoline on it. So I just turn it. And I get up with my atrophied T-Rex arm. And I barely pull on it. And it was fine. There was nothing wrong with the snowblower. I just had to make a small adjustment. There is nothing wrong with your God. There was nothing wrong with your Holy Ghost baptism. And there is nothing wrong with your water baptism in Jesus' name. And you ask yourself, why am I not operating as I've been designed to operate, to live overcoming and victorious? I'm telling you right now, today, if you would give God your undivided attention, he will present to you just some small adjustments you need to make in your life. And if you would make those small adjustments, adjustments you will function and operate at the capacity that God has designed you to God has called you to be victorious God has called you to be more than conquerors how many want to be a conqueror how many want to live and overcome I'm telling you that you can look I'm not perfect I have made mistakes, but I believe in a God that has liberating power, that you do not have to fall again with the same sin again. It's not the will of God for you to get into a certain sin at 12 years old, and when you're 24, you're still struggling with the same sin. And when you're 30 years old, you're still fighting the same battle. And now you're 60 years old, and you're still struggling. That is not the will of God. It's been 20 years since I drank alcohol. It's been 20 years since a cuss word came out of my mouth. 
That's not self-righteousness. That's not holier than thou, better than thou. What I'm letting you know is if you can give an area of your life to God, I'm, he will absolutely, totally set you free. You don't have to struggle with marijuana your entire life. You don't have to struggle with pornography your entire life. Now unto him who is able to keep you from... Well, there's some adjustments. There's some adjustments you have to make. And so I'm going to present to you four things. That if you do these four things, you don't have to fall again. So I want you to take out a pen and paper if you have it. I want you to take out your phone, not text, not look on social media. I want you to take notes today because we are teaching here. And you're going to find out real fast I'm the kind of preacher you either hate or despise. But I'm here to help you. I'm just going to give you some very simple ABC one, two, three. Because I believe it's the practical side of Pentecost that we're missing. We like to have pep rallies, scream, yell, and get you all worked up and, and you're swinging all over the place. And I, I enjoy all of that. But there's some real basic things that we need to just talk about, that we need to address, that we need to get back to the practical teaching of Pentecost to help people. We'll tell you to do something, but we don't tell you how to do it or what to do. We need to get better at that. So number one, everyone say number one. You all ready? Prayer. Everyone say prayer. This is non-negotiable. Absolutely, positively, you must be a person that prays if you don't want to fall again. Pray or be pray. It's up to you. You can either pray and talk to God or you are now pray. You are vulnerable. You are susceptible to that enemy who is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Pray. Everyone say pray. How often should you pray? Every day. Every single day you need to pray. Do not miss prayer. How long should I pray? The Bible doesn't give a thou shalt pray X amount of minutes or hours and you shall enter into the kingdom of God. But I have learned that the deeper things of God are found in extended time with God. And the bigger your struggle, the bigger your prayer life needs to be. Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 14, 41, he turns, he finds the disciples asleep in the garden prayer. And all of a sudden, he sees Pete on the floor. He's like, oh, little baby. Yeah, you just need a little rest. Yes, you do. It's okay. Ten minutes was good. He says, what could you not pray with me for one hour? The Greek word for one hour is 60 minutes. Uh, deep stuff here today. Now, it's not about so much 60 minutes, but here's what Jesus says is very insightful that you need to catch. He says, you need to pray that you enter not into temptation. Is that not how we fall? We fall into temptation? He says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. 
So pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus addressed their struggle, and he says you need to spend at least an hour with the struggle that's upon you right now because there are certain battles you will not overcome and win by five-minute prayers, ten-minute prayers, but it is extended prayer to have a victory over your struggle that you are in. If you are living in the cycle of sin, fighting the same thing over and over again you need to dig a little deeper in your prayer life Jesus said I know you don't want to fall again but you need to pray again and you need to get deeper in that prayer and if you would pray you don't have to fall again prayer is powerful it's communication with God let me give you a simple model if you are here today and one you don't pray daily and two you know, you don't know what to pray when you pray. The disciples said in Luke 11, when Lord teaches us to pray, it took them three and a half years to work up the courage to ask God to teach them how to pray. I've learned in Pentecost, not, not the denominal, in Pentecost, a lot of people just do not know how to pray. We assume everybody prays, and people were shocked when I did that NAYC service. There were people that did not believe those statistics. None of those statistics shocked me. Because I've been doing surveys for some seven, eight years asking people about their prayer life in our movement. And in our movement, almost half of our people do not pray daily. And the average prayer time is anywhere from 15 to 17 minutes. I'm not saying you're going to hell in a handbasket because you only pray 15 or 17 minutes. But man, do we really think that we're going to see what they saw with reduced amount of time with God? I can't pray that long. I have ADHD, LMNLP. Look, I'll believe your diagnosis if you can't sit and watch a two-hour movie or be on social media for an hour. But our problem has never been attention. It's always been appetite. That which we have an appetite for, we will give attention to. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. If you can get a change in your appetite saying, God, I'm tired of falling again. I'm hungry for victory. I'm hungry for holiness. I'm hungry to go to heaven. And you start talking, there will be a shift and a change in your prayer life. So here's how you're going to be successful in your prayer. To be successful tomorrow, plan today. Pick a time and a place. Write this down. Pick a time and a place that you're going to pray. If you do not have a time, if you do not have a place, the statistical probability of you accomplishing that is less likely. If you want to succeed tomorrow, just say, I'm going to pick this time and this place. And God hears that commitment. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to be at that time, at that place waiting for you. And when he sees you get up and go to that time and to that place, it does something to God. He's like, yeah. And all of a sudden, a beautiful relationship begins to unfold, and you can talk to him, and he can talk to you. And you can say, well, I don't know what to say. And uh, Well, think about this, especially those who think you cannot pray more than five minutes. And I'm not attacking you. I'm trying to help you. Is that fair? I'm trying to help you. I'm not attacking you. I'm thankful you pray five minutes. But I've learned this in my 17 years of marriage. Things to do, things not to do. We do a whole marriage seminar here today. But one of the 
most hurtful things for my wife is when we're sitting at a table with a group of people, we're all talking, and they're like, oh, Sister Brown, aren't you excited about da 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 Oh, he never told me about that. I was going to. When my wife has to hear it from someone else and not from me. It's not that I don't love her, but that nonverbal communication means something. She feels as if she wasn't important enough to be the person to hear that from me, to be sharing that. And it hurts her. And how often do you have things going on in your life that you'll sit at the coffee shop and talk to your friend group, that person one-on-one for one hour, for two hours, for three hours, about the drama in your home, your parents are about to get a divorce. Your grandma got cancer. Your friend died of COVID. And you're talking to them for an extended amount of time, bearing your heart, weeping and crying, which is healthy and good. But you never even talk to God about it. How do you think God feels when you share your heart with everybody but him? And when you do share it with him, it's at the end of the night before you go to bed, God, I just pray I give you everything. Hallelujah. Amen. You better believe that means something to God. And just like you talk to your friends, you could talk to God and you can begin to unload everything and speak to him about what is on your heart and mind, no matter how big or how small. And I am persuaded the smaller the issue is, the more trivial it seems, I believe it's more meaningful to God because that means you're convinced he's that personal of a God. I mean, who would ever think like, the Bible has a story where a man is working on a school, a Bible school, Bible college for prophets, and he's working with a tool, and as he's hammering away, the, the, the head of the axe flies off into the water, and he's panicking. He's like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, that's not even my tool. It's not even mine. And the prophet of God comes by, and he's like, man, what's wrong with you? He goes, well, I, I, I'm borrowing my friend's tool, and it went in the water, and I, 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 I borrowed it. I don't know what to do, man. And that prophet says, where'd it go? He threw a stick in that direction. The axe had floated, and they, be, they were able to retrieve it. You know what we do? We break a tool or misplace something. We get mad, we get frustrated, and we go buy another one. We would never even think about praying to God about a broken power tool. We would never even think about praying to God, getting him involved in a misplaced item. But see, God even cares about you losing a power tool. And you could talk to God about every little thing. And when you get God involved in the details, you will see how personal of a God he is and how much he loves you and he cares. about. Look, our God is not some big, powerful, cosmic being in the distance that is unreachable and you can never talk. God wants to talk to you. You can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So here's some recommendations. One, I would encourage you, if you are not currently praying daily, pray daily. Two, if you're not praying at least 30 minutes, I would encourage you to start to get to that place where you pray 30 minutes in a single setting. 
There's this thing like, oh, I, I pray 30, 30 minutes, I think. If I was about five minutes here, carry the tube, divide it by one, multiply by three, and then I prayed there, and then I prayed over this. And No, 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 no. Yes, pray throughout the day, but there's a single setting. Like, I could talk to my wife sporadically throughout the day, but it's not the same as when I sit with my wife and give her undivided attention for extended amount of time. We can get into deeper, more meaningful conversation that way than me just kind of texting her here and there and just seeing her and waving to her every now and again. And that's what we miss in prayer. People that try to justify their lack of extended prayer in a single setting. They're missing some deeper things that could take place. Because all of us have deeper issues going on right now. Some of us are battling some real major struggles. And you just need to sit still. And you need to open yourself to God. And start letting him talk to you. And start letting him work on you. And I promise you, you do not have to fall again. Here's a quick model. Now i got to move to number two. I'm, I'm a long-winded guy. I already realized that. Everyone write A-C-T-S, Acts, the book of Acts. We're into that. Use this for an acronym if you don't have a, a guiding principle in prayer. A, adore. C, confess. T, thanks. S, submit. A, adore. Just tell God when you start praying, just tell him how awesome he is. God, I adore you. I love you. I worship you. I magnify. You're incredible. You're awesome. You're amazing. There's nobody like you. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. You are great. You are greatly to be praised. There's no one like you. You are God and you are just basically any compliment you can give, give it to him. And after you tell God how great he is, tell him how not great you are. Confess. God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. God, I made some mistakes. God, I, 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 I yelled at that person. I gossiped about that person. God, I, I gave in to my lust. God, forgive me. I am sorry for my sins. I ask you to create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right. Ask him to forgive you. And then after he forgives you, go to T. Thanks. God, thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for washing my sins away. Thank you for your love. Thank you for not quitting on me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for another opportunity to serve you. I thank you, Jesus. I have eyes. I can see. I have ears. I can hear. God, I have hands. I have feet. I can walk. I can talk. God, I have a roof over my head. God, I have clothes on my back. I have food on my table. Thank God for any positive thing in your world. And he'll give you an attitude of gratitude. And all of a sudden you become a grateful person instead of a complaining person. And then lastly, S, submit. Submit whatever needs to God. God, right now my, my cousin's on a ventilator. I, I pray that you heal them. I pray you take them out of that right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for my, my pastor. He's stressed out. I could not imagine trying to lead people during a pandemic. I pray blessings upon my pastor. God, I pray for my school. I, I'm trying to do better. I, help me to learn as I study. Help me to retain that information so I can pass my test as I apply myself. You can submit anything to God. It's not that complicated. What was number one? All right, number two. Everyone say Bible. This is non-negotiable. This is essential. You absolutely must read your Bible. How often? Every day. You need to read your Bible every single day. How much? How, how much Bible? I mean, really, again, there's no, nowhere it says how much. But I think a bare minimum, if you read three chapters a day, especially if you just broke down the Bible, three chapters a day every day, and uh, you went from Genesis to Revelation, you'd read the entire Bible within a year. Just three chapters. About 30 minutes max of your time, 15 minutes on other days. It doesn't take a long time. But it's every day. When you look at the whole book, it's overwhelming. But when you break it down daily, it's not that complicated. It's a matter of a spiritual discipline. 
the Bible. We need to have it. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 4 in verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is our soul food. How many here, you know, you accidentally, like after like day five, you're like, man, I, that's weird. I forgot I haven't eaten in five days. Like, who, who accidentally forgets to eat food for five days? Especially you ladies, you can't go five minutes. You always got the big purse with the snacks. You know. But we'll go five days without reading the Bible. We'll go an extended time without reading the Bible. And if you struggle, you say, well, I'm not smart. I can't get it. Look, I, I'm not smart either. But here's, here's a great verse for you. Psalm 119, verse 18. God, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. If you don't have understanding, ask for understanding. It's the will of God. He sent you a, there's nothing worse than someone give, you send a text message to and they don't read it and they don't reply. You're like, Ugh. God sent you a text message, a mass text message, and he just wants you to read it. The number one way I hear from God is the word of God. Because when you read his word, that's how you learn his nature and his personality. Just like when you read someone's text message, what do you hear? Their voice. You hear their voice. And if you know them, you hear their intent. And so it is with the word of God. The more you read it, the more you'll know him. And you'll learn to discern his voice. And when you couple the word of God with prayer in God, he'll speak to you. And it will not be confusing whether that is God or not. Because you know his nature. You know his personality. And it matches the word that you read with the feeling you feel while you're in prayer. It's the power of knowing what God said. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 29, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. The biggest mistake we can ever make is not knowing what the word of God says. There's power in God's word. We must know this book. You know, when we had our son Noah, we wanted to have a natural birth, organic, you know, but things don't always work out the way you want them to, and we had to have an emergency C-section. It's our first kid, so we're already nervous about it. But now we have to have an emergency C-section, so we're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, heart's pounding. And uh, they put my wife in the surgery room, and I'm in there. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, in Jesus' name, I was praying everything's going to be all right. And uh, this situation, all of a sudden, two doctors walk in. I'm like, okay, here we go. And they're laughing. And they pull out, you know, the fork and knife. And they, like, you know, they're having a dinner conversation. They're cutting my wife open. And they're talking about the high school football game. <laughs> These might be short, but they can make contact. <laughs> Do you not understand how serious this situation is? Then it dawned on me. This ain't their first rodeo. You know what would have alarmed me? If they come in with their gloves and their masks and they're like, oh my. <laughs> what do we do? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh, what do we do? Uh, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, uh, Pastor, doctor. I don't know what to do here. Um, can you help me? They're, they're asking why I wear what I wear. 
the, 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 the question about, you know, the Trinity, and I, I can you just kind of. See, they were ready for whatever they walked into that room, no matter what happened, because they studied and they ate that book and it was a part of them they don't need to walk in there with a manual they don't need to walk in there with instruction guides whatever would happen on that table they were ready for it it would be a natural reflex the bible says in first peter three fifteen, but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear it is up to us not when you're 30 years old but right now get that word in your heart get that word in your spirit and when your friend begins to ask you questions you're not as nervous and scared you're persuaded and you're confident and you got revelation and you can look them in the eye and say this is what it says in the word another great reason to get the word in you if you're struggling with sin you need a sin preventative Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not. You don't have to fall again, but you got to learn to get back and read again. Get back in the word of God. Well, I already read the word of God. Well, read it again. I'm telling you, it never gets old. It never runs dry. It's powerful. One last quick story, and I'll move on to number three. There was a man who was in war, and in an explosion, he, he, he lost his sight, and he lost his hearing. And he, was, he wanted to read the Bible, but now he no longer could read the Bible with loss of vision and loss of hearing. So he was going to learn Braille so he can read. And as he began to try to feel the Braille, he could not because from the explosion, the feelings on his fingers were singed. And he was so miserable and so distraught. And one day while eating, I think he bit his tongue, something like that, and he felt the sensation on his tongue. He's like, I can feel with my tongue. I wonder if I could read Braille with my tongue. And so he started trying to train himself to read Braille with his tongue, and his tongue began to bleed because it wasn't designed to do something like that, but he was so desperate just to read God's word. And he finally learned how to differentiate and distinguish the characters of Braille with his tongue. And before that man died, he read through the entire Bible three times with his tongue. What excuse do you have? What excuse do I have? People have bled and died so you can be afforded a free Bible. You don't have to smuggle it. You can download it. You have access God, give us an appetite for your word again. God, give me hunger for your word again. I want to eat this book. I want to love this book. What was number one? Number two? Here's a quick Bible reading plan. We'll move to number three. Everyone say map. Matthew, Acts, Proverbs. Matthew, words of God. Acts, church of God. Proverbs, wisdom of God. And if you read each of those every day, corresponding with the day you're on you could read through each of those books every month so say it's february 1st matthew 1 acts 1 proverbs 1 february 2nd matthew chapter 2 acts chapter 2 proverbs chapter you see what i'm saying and every one of those books has 31 chapters or less in it every month has 31 days or less in it and read through it 
And there's so much there. Matthew, you're learning the words of Jesus Christ. Hey, yes, read the whole Bible, but if you don't have any Bible reading plan, at least get one established in your life. Because sometimes we get excited at the beginning of the year to start at Genesis. We're all pumped up. But at the time we get to Exodus chapter 22, we're like, what just happened? <laughs> Temple furniture? What, who, what? Is this Ikea? What's going on? <laughs> and you get like discouraged and you try to plow through. Then you make it to Leviticus and you're like, what, what in the what? And so this is the power of having Matthew, Acts, Proverbs. The literary style more matches what you're used to reading. And Matthew's the words of Jesus Christ. Acts is a church on fire. It's the original history of the original church. And Proverbs is like just getting a big bowl of, you know, Chinese fortune cookies. It's just like, you know, you open it. Wow, that was good. Wow, that was good. Wow, that was good. Wow, that was good. There's nothing like God's word if you can just get in the book and start consuming it. Number three, everyone say church. Everyone say essential. Well, ain't that controversial. Church is essential. I, I wish someone would repeat that with me. Church is essential we know hebrews 10 25 forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a man or some some folks just don't assemble together anymore but regardless of what everyone else says and does we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is well dude like i don't think the church is a building bro like i could have church in my house in a circle with my socks off and kumbaya with my guitar dude You know the people that have a problem with attending a church faithfully? They have this problem. They have a problem with authority, and they want to be the one in authority. This is a common thread. Problem with authority, and they're the ones that want to talk and take over the conversation in their little house group. Wow. <clears throat> but here's, here, here's the deal that we need to understand. We like 1 Timothy 3.16, greatest mystery of godliness, God manifests in the flesh. We love that revelation, amen, of who Jesus is. Where do you find that revelation? Read verse 15. You ought to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. He uses two words. He says there is a geographical location where the ecclesia meet. I know the church is not bound to brick and mortar, but the church is a group of assembled people that come together in a geographical location. There is a sanctioned location that has been designated for the assembly to come together that has been called out of this world to be separate. And we come together, and that's where we learn about one God. That's where we learn about Jesus' name, baptism. That's where we learn about the Holy Ghost. That's where we learn about holiness. Church is essential. And people can talk all they want about maybe how dangerous it is right now to assemble with people. Look, if you treat the church the same way you treat Walmart and all your grocery shopping, then fine. But if you have more courage to go eat some vegetables and pick, you know, from the fruit basket that everyone else has been touching, but you are afraid to come to the house of God, it's just the inconsistency that bothers me. If you're going to be consistent, be consistent across the board controversial I know fire me that's fine I'll go back to South Dakota I have no feelings I got frostbite I'm okay but understand something we could talk about the risk of coming together but ask yourself this in Axis Challenge Nations I've been overseas 
And I, I, we assembled in, in uh, Dubai where pastors from Iran came and pastors from Saudi Arabia came and pastors from Jordan came. All these access challenge nations where they literally, their life is on the line for believing this and teaching this and they will be beheaded. Literal danger for practicing their faith. Wouldn't it be safest to practice your faith privately alone? Why even risk it and assemble together? Why do they do that? Because our brothers and sisters in those nations know they're at greater risk and danger alone than when they assemble together. You are at greater risk alone than when you assemble with the people of God. What's our excuse? When they literally are doing everything they can to come together. I have a friend, believe it or not, and he's, we're like on the same plane of like lack of intelligence. And um, him and I, like, you know, when we graduated from high school, like, we didn't want to go to school again. Like, some people love education. God bless you. I couldn't get out fast enough. Well, he didn't want to go to school, and so he went into the workforce and just got an uh, entry-level job working at Jimmy John's. You guys, you guys know what Jimmy John's is? It's like, it's like Subway. It's a sandwich shop. It's kind of a big deal on the state side. It would be like Tim Hortons. There we go. It's like the Tim Hortons Subway in the U.S. It's a big deal. Google it. Not now, but. <laughs> he was in the job interview, and they, they basically, in the interview process, he says, this is my availability. I don't work Sundays. Sundays belong to God. I go to church. And they're like, all right, that's fine. So he gets, he gets, he gets hired working in a sandwich shop, and uh, they, they end up uh, needing him on a Sunday. The manager, store manager comes up to me and says, hey, we need you to work this Sunday. He goes, well, I thought. We had an understanding. I, I told you we don't, I don't work on Sundays. He's like, well, if you don't come to work this Sunday, you're fired. And he goes, well, I'll work the rest of my week, but I won't be there Sunday. And the manager's like, it's up to you. Well, the last day of his work came, and um, the manager goes, well, you're going to show up. We need you to work this Sunday. And he said, no, sir, this will be my last day, and he's working. Long story short, the uh, district manager comes for whatever reason, they're having a conversation in the back room, him and the uh, store manager. After the conversation, the district manager comes out, and he looks at my friend. He says, you're the new store manager. He gets to write his own schedule. <laughs> he maintains his commitment to the Lord, and shortly thereafter becomes the district manager. Maintains his commitment a little after that, becomes the regional manager. Then he ends up working at headquarters for Jimmy John's. And now today, he is the number two man of all of Jimmy John's. The only answer is to Jimmy. <laughs> and by the way, he's apostolic. I believe Jesus said something like this in Matthew 6.33. Blessed are they 
if you would just simply seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Make God your priority and you will become God's priority. When he sees you put him first, God will make sure you are promoted, that you are blessed. Someone say amen. Number one, what was it? Prayer. Number two, number three, number four. Everyone say diet. Turn to your neighbor, poke him in the tummy, say diet. No, no, don't, don't. Unless it's like tempting. No, don't. Now for those that are scared right now as I talk about diet, I am not talking about Tim Hortons. You do whatever you want. Tim bits turn into ton of bits. And uh, when you have lots of bits. Romans 13, 14, if you could write that down. The Bible says, make not provision for the flesh. Literally, do not feed your carnal appetite to fulfill the lust thereof. When you feed the nature of your flesh, you will give in to your flesh. That's why you've got to be careful what you eat. You are what you eat. And you're pretty much like, you know, you got two, two portals of eating, like a mouth. That would be your eyes and your ears. And they get deposited in two places, your heart and your mind. If you can see that. Spiritually speaking, intellectually speaking, emotionally speaking, it's through the eyes and the ears. And it goes to the mind and to the heart. And we got to be very careful with what we eat with our eyes and what we eat, our ears, because it goes into our mind and into our heart. And so we have to be diligent about this. We have to be intentional. And we are not very good at being intentional because we live in a very audio-visual driven society. And that's how Eve fell. The first sin was audio-visual. She was looking at the fruit. It looked good to her. The devil saw what she was looking towards. And he began to speak into the ear and persuaded her to give in to what she was looking at. We got to be careful what we watch and what we hear. The Bible says in the book of Peter, that righteous lot he was a good Christian man he was a good godly man but every day his soul was vexed by what he saw and what we heard that affects us whether we want to acknowledge it or not and whatever it is that I, I, when I mentioned not falling again about the same struggle the same sin whatever sin you are battling right now you got to consider what am I eating that causes me to give in to this same temptation over and over again man you struggle with anger and wrath not a good idea to listen to angry music anti-authority music struggling with drugs and alcohol it's not a good idea to listen to songs about drugs and alcohol it's getting quiet all of a sudden here in Canada what's the we got to be careful with what we see and what we hear words matter oh I know it's just it's just art it's just it's just music no big deal well, if words don't matter, let me talk about your mama. Your mama's so fat. Oh, I got a little tense, huh? I thought words don't matter. Words do matter. Words 
do matter. And if our words matter, their words matter. And their words in our ears matter. For it is a heart issue. It's a matter of the heart. And it begins to evoke things inside. It would be careful what you eat. I want to spend time on the ears, but I'm going to get to, I've been going like almost an hour. So I'm going to go right into the eyes and hit you between the eyes. Hallelujah. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. You okay? I want us to pray, and then we're going to move forward. Lift your hands. Lift your hands and lift your voice in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by my might and not by my power, but by the spirit of the living God. I pray you move into this house right now. I pray, God, you take scales off of minds and hearts and eyes and ears and help people to hear clearly and see clearly right now. Jesus, I pray, Lord, the belt of truth. I pray the shield of faith. I pray the breastplate of righteousness, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we walk into this, Lord, that your angels would be dispatched in this room and let there be revelation. And I pray there be liberation and freedom in this house. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Everyone say eyes. I want you to write these verses down, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. I'm not going to read all of them, but this is the premise of what Jesus said. He says, we know the physical sexual act of sex before marriage and sex outside of the confines of marriage is sin. He talks about adultery, but if you don't know it, sex before marriage and sex outside of your marriage is a sin. Regardless of what culture says it's permissible. That's what Jesus taught in the New Testament. Not just Old Testament, New Testament. He reiterates it. But for those who think, you know, like the Old Testament's like really mean and the New Testament's like easy, cheesy, for easy, no big deal. I do whatever I want. Jesus teaches us that grace holds us to a higher level of expectation grace is not easier grace is a higher level of accountability it's given freely but it's a high level of accountability and here's what he says he says you know the physical act is wrong but i'm telling you the visual act is wrong he says i tell you whoever looks on a woman and begins to lust after her is committing adultery inside of his heart he says the visual act is sin. And he says, it's better for you to rip out your iPhone. It's better for you to rip out your iPad and make it into heaven without your technology. It's better to rip out your eye, better to cut off your hand, than for you to go to hell with your eye and hand intact. I'd rather go to heaven looking like a pirate. Jesus says you got to get serious about the issue of your eyes. You got to get serious about the issue of what you think and what happens in your heart. And it's not just one occasion. He goes right in the next chapter. Write this down. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and verse 23 says, The light of the body is the eye. The entrance, the portal into your spirit, into your soul is through your eye. And he says, if your eye be single, meaning pure, your whole body shall be full of light. But if the light that is in you is darkness, if you allow evil in your eye, your whole body becomes dark. What goes through this door right here affects all of this. 
This is Jesus talking. This is not Mark Brown. This is not UPCI. This is not some organizational thing. This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says you got to be careful with your eyes. Your eyes affect your heart and they can take you to hell. You all listening? I'm going to try to hurry. This is why we need to do what Job 31 and verse 1 says. Make a covenant with your eyes. You got to start setting some guidelines and parameters around your eyes and say, this is what I do with my eyes. This is what I don't do with my eyes. But our problem is we'll pick up our iPhone. We'll pick up our tablet, our laptop, and we have no guidelines, no barriers, no restrictions, and we freely roam, never considering the consequence of the eye. Never even thinking And putting two and two together that maybe the struggle I have is connected to my diet. You know how significant the diet is? The diet affects the other three. When you have an unhealthy diet, it's going to affect your prayer life. It's going to affect your Bible reading life. It's going to affect your church attendance because all of a sudden now you're letting your guard down and things are going in. Now you feel the condemnation, the shame, the embarrassment, and you don't feel worthy to lift your hands. You don't feel worthy to come to church. Your diet affects the other three things. We have to be diligent about our diet. I want you to write these verses down. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying, okay? We all right, Pastor? You okay? Okay. All right. Lamentations 3.51 and Job 31.7. We're just teaching here today, but I, I'm not here to hype you. I'm here to help you. Lamentations 3.51 and Job 31.7. And here's what these two verses say. Lamentations 3.51 says, my eye affects my heart. Everyone say, my eye affects my heart. Everyone say, my eye affects my heart. In Job 31.7, everyone say, my heart walks after my eye. Everyone say, my heart walks after my eye. Now put those two verses together. My eye affects my heart and my heart walks after my eye that's the cycle well I don't believe that you want you want a little scripture maybe a little bible story let's all let's all gather together (laughs) once upon a time in a land far, far away. There was a king named David. A man after God's own heart. Mighty warrior, mighty man of valor. Sometimes spiritual warfare gets depleting. Sometimes we get weary in well-doing. And we just want to relax. And so nobody had a big screen like King Dave. He went out in his big old panoramic. And he doesn't go to war like he should have. He just wanted to relax and he starts watching. And he turns on his favorite show, Bathsheba. And he's watching Bathsheba. Bathing. He's not committing the physical act, but there's a visual act taking place. Personally, this is my opinion. I don't believe it was season one. 
probably season two, season three. It, it was a slow fade. But his eye affected his heart. And his heart went after his eye. And he summoned Bathsheba and had an adulterous relationship. And that's why Jesus teaches Matthew 5.27. Because the eye commits adultery in the heart. And eventually, the, what's the adultery in the heart goes after the eye and you have adultery in the flesh. I'm not saying because you played a violent video game that you're going to go commit violent acts. I'm not saying because you watched, you know, some sort of illicit scene that you're going to go commit that illicit act. But the seeds are planted. And in a moment of weakness, they sprout. And all of a sudden, now you can't think of anything, but you're laying in bed, and all of a sudden your mind's moving, and it immediately opens up to that image that you saw. I'm going to be vulnerable with you, and I'll, I'm going to hurry to a close. I remember the first time I saw a pornographic image. I was in middle school, and uh, I was at my sister's house. Stayed up late, and she, she had satellite TV, and um, I was watching HBO, I believe it was, and this show came on, it was ma a, a movie, major movie, not going to name it, don't want to evoke an image in your mind, but it was, it was the movie, and it was PG-13, so you know, it's, it's okay, Pentecostal, godly, appropriate, right, PG-13. Let the world set our ratings for us. And so I, um, I'm watching, and all of a sudden, the, there's this naked woman. And I was like froze to the couch. I, I was, it was like, like something hypnotic happened. And another presence came into that room. And I couldn't leave. The show came to an end, and then the next one came on as the night progressed, and it wasn't PG-13, it was rated R. And it was more sensual and more vivid. I couldn't leave. I was stuck. Then the next show came on as the night progressed, and it wasn't PG-13, it wasn't rated R, it was not rated at all. And it progressed into, in a very quick moment, from just a PG-13 to full-fledged pornography. If I had the genius and the ability and the money and the wherewithal to invent a time machine and to go back to one moment in my life to prevent it from happening, it'd be that moment. Because that moment my eye affected my heart, and my heart went after my eye. And it was the battle I faced for years. And I was bound by what I saw. And it forever changed every view I had of ladies at the time. I no longer looked at them as friends. I looked at it as some sort of conquest. My mind got skewed and perverted. Are you listening to me? 
We think, I'm talking, I'm talking something I saw over some 25 years ago, PG-13. I have no idea what PG-13 would be this day. But this world isn't getting more moral. Isn't it getting into more holiness? It is descending. You can't even look at a commercial without blushing. The day and age in which we are living right now. Are, are you okay? You all right? I remember, I remember when I, pr I prayed through when I was 18 years old. And God called me to go to Bible college. And so I went. And I went to Bible college. And at the Bible college I went to, they had this covenant sheet that you had to sign. And as I'm reading it, I'm signing it. All of a sudden I read this one that says, you know, you, you can't uh, watch movies and go to the theater. I'm like, what in the? Is this a cult? What is this? I'm like, well, God told me to come. So I, I signed this covenant. And it's the first time I abstain. I work, I work for Blockbuster, which I mentioned yesterday. It's Brokebuster now, you know. They don't exist anymore. I watch every movie in its mother, you know. I, I, I saw it all. I was their best salesman. I won the, like, the salesman award because I would sell everything and I'd get commission awards and all that stuff as a high schooler. And I, I, I remember like basically going to Bible college and not watching. It was like I, I was like wigging out. I was like, I'm not watching anything. What in the world? So when, when, when Christmas break came and I got to go home, what do you think I wanted to do? Absolutely binge. Yeah, sure. Yeah, bet you now, don't you know? And so I get my favorite movie ever. This is the manliest movie. So much blood, so much violence. It was awesome. My favorite scene's coming up where they're going to scissor this guy's head off in this fight scene. I'm not going to name the movie. But scissors the head off. That thing pops off. I got my bowl of popcorn pumped up. It rolls and its blood squirts. And all of a sudden I felt nauseated. I was like, ugh. What in the world? I was not expecting that. And I couldn't watch, so I turned it off and I went back to my room. I didn't have anything else to do. I started reading my Bible. It's the first time I came across Romans 129 through 32. And it starts giving a list of everything you and I know is wrong. And it says, all these acts of sin are worthy of death. I'm like, that's right, bless God. But then... The verse closes like this. Not only they that do them, but they that take pleasure in them that do it. And the Holy Ghost convicted me. He says, you're entertained by what displeases me. And I figured out why it bothered me in that moment. I became desensitized and I didn't even know it. But when I changed my diet and remove that out of my diet, and I started taking in spiritual things, all of a sudden it was purged out of me. And I went back, to just like if you've ever been, you know, on a health diet kind of thing, you don't drink pop for, say, a month or two months or a year, and you drink it the next time, all of a sudden you're like, whoa. It's like way too sweet. It's overwhelming. It's the same thing we don't realize every day. You know, you can say, well, I don't feel convicted about Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, look, you don't have to feel convicted for it to be wrong. He says, the, the world doesn't feel convicted about abortion. Absence of conviction is not God's permission. It simply could be my conscience 
has become calloused or seared with a hot iron. I've been doing something for so long, I no longer feel bad about it. But I still can't figure out why I am struggling with what I'm struggling with. Would you for a moment just pause and consider perhaps there's something unhealthy in your diet that God wants you to make an adjustment in? And if you would make that adjustment, God will bring about a deliverance and you don't have to fall again. I don't have time to go on this, but write this down. I want you to listen to an interview when you get a chance. It's called Crucial Conversations. I was in a podcast, Crucial Conversations. It's another hour long. You can listen to it, but it talks about some things that I, I'd like to get to, but I don't have time. I'm going to wrap this up. But please, please listen to that. One last story. I was, my wife and I, we made a covenant. We made an agreement, you know, not to have TV not to uh, watch shows, not to, we never had Netflix, anything like that. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not your pastor. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm, I'm giving you an insight into my life. Is that fair? Okay. And all of a sudden we realize, you know, maybe we're weird because it seems like everybody else just watches all the time. And um, maybe we're overdoing it. So I went to the library, got, got an official library license, and uh, got the UPCI approved Andy Griffith show. Because planning a church is hard. I mean, it's just like constant warfare. My wife and I were tired. We were tired. And so what we would do at the end of the week, Sunday service is over. We're just worn out. We're doing everything. We just wanted to sit and laugh. So we turn on Andy Griffith's show, and, man, we'd have a blast. Barney with his one bullet. Gomer. Gee, Andy. So that was our routine. One day, sit next to my wife, open the laptop, watch Andy Griffith show. And I'll never forget this episode. It's about this lady who comes to Mayberry, a manicurist. She's a beautiful woman. She looks very Pentecostal. She's got long hair. She's, she's wearing a skirt, no cleavage, no G-string. She's it's all good. We would say appropriate. It's a good show. And the whole show is about all the guys in Mayberry gawking over this woman. And they're getting their nails done because they just want her, you know, to look at her and, you know, all that good stuff. At the end of the show, she is leaving Mayberry with her suitcase, her nail kit. And all the guys are looking. This is a black and white show from the 70s, 60s. And the camera starts zooming into her backside, bouncing left and right. In a dress. You don't see nothing. 
and I'm sitting there next to my wife as a pastor, as a youth president, and I am beginning to lust after a woman after preaching on a Sunday service in my own home next to my wife. And I can feel the old man coming back. And I had a decision maybe, so my mind's moving. If, you, if you've ever been addicted to substance abuse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just takes one smell of that marijuana, and all of a sudden something comes back. You smell it, and memories come. And this is all happening in this moment. And I decided to speak up. I closed the laptop. I turned to my wife. I said, babe, we can't watch Andy Griffith anymore. And she goes, why? I go, I feel convicted. I'm lusting after a woman. And I'm sitting next to you, and I'm supposed to be a married man, a pastor, a Christian. And she says, wow. That's weird. I, I feel convicted too. I'm like, you're lusting after her too? <laughs> she said, no. She said, I feel convicted because in South Dakota, alcohol has a stronghold on the people we're trying to reach especially the Native Americans. And I keep laughing about a man bound by alcohol named Otis in the Andy Griffith Show. And I feel guilty for making a joke out of a real spiritual struggle that we're trying to reach. And that day we made a commitment not to open that world back up again. I know this sounds crazy to you. I know it sounds radical. But I don't want to fall again. And if you don't deal with this now, it's not just going to go away because you get married one day. How do I know? Because I never dealt with my lust as a teenager. And I thought as a Christian apostolic, if I get married, then I could take care of it. No. It doesn't go away. You have to deal with the issue. And that lust came back into my marriage. Pornography came into my marriage. And here I am supposed to be a pastor watching pornography and ministering. You, you, you can write me off all you want, but I'm here to share all of that for this purpose to let you know that I come against the lie of hell that the struggle you have right now is an impossible feat to overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I also come against the lie of hell that says because you have battled with pornography, because you struggle with your sin, that God can't forgive you and God can't restore you and God can't use you. I stand here as a living testimony that he who the Son is set free is free indeed. God absolutely will deliver you and desires to live, deliver you and can do it this very day. But we got to get desperate in our our heart. God, I'm tired of falling again. God, 
I'm tired of dealing with the same sin. I want out. I want out. I want out. Let's stand together. This is not a game. We are so casual with our visual. We are so relaxed with what we do with our eyes and ears that we never pause long enough to put into consideration the consequence it's having on you. I'm talking, there is a spirit in this room that wants out of the bondage that you are in. I know as I have talked about this that I have agitated some spirits in this room and you are mad. Ask yourself, why are you mad? And what spirit is angered? Is that the spirit of God that's angry in you? Or is it your flesh that's mad at the possible concept that we are addicted and do not even know it and do not realize that we are picking up a loaded pistol every single day and playing Russian roulette. And I, I could tell you story after story of people my age and older that saw pornography long before this ever came out. When you see it, it's not intentional. The first time, 90% of the time, is accidental. And it's the age of exposure is getting younger and younger and younger. We're nine years old is the common age of exposure to pornography. And I used to assume, not in our movement, but I'm telling you, it's the same in here. Because we have opened the floodgates and we turn a blinded eye to media. I'm not saying you're going to hell because you watch Andy Griffith's show, but I've learned this lesson for me personally. It doesn't have to be porn to be porn. It's one reason why I don't, I don't watch sports. Because all it takes is on the interview, that cheerleader in the background, and all of a sudden the old man comes back. It's one reason why I don't follow news. The main reason God spoke to me about that is because I would get so emotionally and like consumed with it, it would frustrate me. Another is because every time I go to a news site, there's always the clickbait, always some sort of sports illustrated image. I didn't click. I got. I've been set free from Panera. I stand here without lying to you. I look you straight in the eye in the fear of God. It's been it's been basically a decade since I have seen any pornography or given into self gratification. That's not self righteousness. That's just me letting you know I've been bound, and I've been free, and I know which world is better. And it's why many people cannot walk into church and lift up hands because there's wrath and doubting on you. You can't be one thing outside of the church and another thing on the inside. God wants to set some people free. 
Look, I can't control what's outside this building, but I'm going to do the best I can to control what's in my home. You put that image of my family back up. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my son and my daughters. I pray regularly, God, I pray they never, ever get exposed to pornography. God forbid they see it outside of the home, but I am determined that they will not be exposed to it in my home. I am the keeper of the door. I am the keeper of the glory in the home. And I, look... If you're a parent in this room, if you're an elder in this room, the vineyard's different in this atmosphere than it was in your atmosphere. Pre-flood, post-flood, the vineyard fermented differently in Noah's day after the flood. The streaming is different right now. And Noah continued as he knew to do. But because there's nothing wrong with a vineyard. It's just a vineyard. But because he indulged in what was permissible, he ended up becoming intoxicated unintentionally. And that intoxication ended up affecting his family. It affected his son. It affected his children. And there was something that unfolded in that day. God forbid. I could tell you stories right now of kids in our movement that have walked in on their father watching born. It will change everything. God, help us to get delivered. I'm talking to some people you have chains and shackled on you and God wants to set you free today. And Lord, I I know you may think that this is some negative sermon. But this is trying to be helpful for you. And listen to this, and I'm done. The same way it works in the negative, it works in the positive. The eye affects the heart. And the heart walks after the eye. Change your diet and start listening to Christian music. Start watching preaching. Start watching God and start setting before your eyes the word of God. And your eye affects your heart. And your heart walks after your eye. This works in the positive. Jesus said, if your eye be single, if your eye be pure, your whole body shall be full of light. God, help us to change our diet. Is there a group of young people in this room that you are desperate? You don't want to fall again. You want to live for God. I'm telling you right now, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. If you're here today in one of those four areas, apply to you. I want you to come to this altar right now. And I want you to lift up hands without wrath and doubting. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. As Peter prayed over that lame man, I pray over you such as I have. Give I thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. You don't have to lay wounded. You don't have to lay crippled. I'm telling you, you can rise and walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh this is not just a guy issue it's a girl issue it is an issue of the hour it is an issue of the day but Jesus Christ loves you he's not done with you he's not through with you he's going to give you a breakthrough that you long for you thought you could never go longer than a day you thought you could go never longer than a month but I'm telling you God is going to liberate God is going to heal
feel? Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? Would you begin to travail in desperation? God, I don't want to fall again. Come on. Don't let those who are not responding keep you from responding. There are people mad at me in this room. There are people that have written this off and shut down. But I'm talking to someone that's desperate. If you're desperate, Jesus said there's a blessing for the hungry in this room. He will fill you with righteousness. How desperate are you right now? How desperate are you right now? Come on, lift up your voice. You don't have to fall. You don't have to fall. You don't have to fall. Come on, is there a desperate person in this room? Is there a desperate person in this room? Come on, come on, come on. There's healing. There's healing right now. In the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus. Come on, lift your voices. Lift your voices. Go after it. Go after it. Ah, I feel liberty in this house right now. I feel liberty in this house right now. Stop looking at me. Stop looking at me. Look to Jesus. Close your eyes. Cut off all distractions right now. Come on, remove every distraction in this room and get plugged into Jesus. Get plugged into Jesus. Matata satakata. Meromoto kiare. Merotoro korama. Marakarandare. Riororondo korama. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Jesus, I believe your word in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Right now. Come on. Right now. Right now. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Lord, every element in this room that is contrary to the Holy Spirit, I cast down those imaginations and every high thing, every prideful spirit, Lord, that is against the knowledge of God. Lord, I bring it into captivity in Jesus' name. I bring it into captivity in Jesus' Jesus name come on war in the spirit war in the spirit you don't have to fall again you don't have to fall again you don't have to fall again come on God I believe you're going to do it right now I believe it Jesus I believe it Jesus I believe it Jesus greater I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. God, I'm not going to skip church. And Lord, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to change my diet. Lord, my eye has affected my heart in the negative. But today there's a shift. Today there's a turn. Today there's a pivot. Lord, my eye is going to affect my heart in the positive. I will let that which is pure, that which is godly, that which is holy, I will let that be my diet. 
Ooh, say, Mararah, 